This morning uh, we're looking at another parable. And it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I'm going to tell you something here this morning that's... uh, I mean, Josh mentioned last week, you know, sometimes the scriptures talk about sensitive things and upsetting things. Well, this is another one of those occasions. Because I need to tell you this morning that you're all going to die. We are all going to die. Every single one of us. No exception. It's not a nice thing to say, is it? It really isn't. It's not, it's not a great conversation starter, is it, Kat? No. But it's a fact. It's a fact. Nobody lives forever. Absolutely no one. Not even in the Bible. Now, in the Bible, there are people that have lived a very, very long time, even longer than Colleen. They've lived longer than that. But no one's lived forever. We all die, every single one of us. It's not working for me. It never works for me. I don't know why I bother with this stuff. Can you, can you next slide? Now, this one here that's coming up here, have a look at this. I'll just give you 10 seconds to have a look at it, think about it. I love things like this, this slide, because without words, it tells you something. It conveys a, a message or story, a thought, now, it doesn't matter what what uh, language it might be in, you might speak, you can look at that and you can understand what it's trying to say. I, was, I, I, I chose this picture because I thought this is exactly what this passage is talking about. You, know, you start off life and you're young and then you're, you're, you're an adolescent you have all these dreams, all these plans of what you're going to do, and then you find someone, someone to share your life with. And you get married and you have children, you become a father and mother, whatever. And then one, two, the fourth one is probably not quite there yet. Paul and I are just, just in between there, just on that edge. You know, you get a bit older, you know, walking stick, so on. And then unfortunately a sad occurrence happens. One of, the, one of the two pass away and that's the little gravestone. And then a little bit more time goes on, Graham, and then there are two gravestones. And that's life. But I don't think, as good as I, I appreciate that slide, I don't think it's right, that slide. Or it's not complete, I should say, perhaps. Because there's one more panel that should be there at the end. One more panel. Because this is what the parable is talking about. This is what the Lord Jesus took time and tried to explain to the people of his day that were listening. That extra panel. You see, death does not end life. It doesn't. It changes our environment. All right, have you got that? Death does not end life. It changes the environment in which we live. Mm-hmm. You're mad, Raph. 
It's true, though, when you think about it. You see, we live on earth in a terrestrial environment. And God, he dwells in the heavens, in a celestial environment. Right? Now, apart from the fact that, you know, we can touch and feel everything here, the difference is we live in a finite environment. A terrestrial environment is finite. Believe it or not, this world will also come to an end. It will. The scripture says that. And the environment tells us that as well. But the celestial environment is an infinite environment. It never ends. It keeps on going and going and going. It never ends. And death is the means by which we move from one environment into the other. I know we get upset when people die. I mean, my folks have both gone. I was upset because we missed them. But it's just going from one environment to the next. That's what Jesus said in this parable. As, de- as unpleasant as death is of a subject, and it's often avoided, as I said, we, you know, we won't be talking about this over lunch, Father's Day lunch. We're not going to talk about death. All right? And you don't often talk about death. But what happens after death? Now, there's a conversation to be had. We're very curious about what happens after we die. What happens after we finish living? What's that last panel look like? We're very curious about that. Can I have the next slide, please, mate? Thank you. Okay. So a lot of people think about what happens after death, and this is, this is, this is one thought. You know, it's a big party with my mates. You know, how often have you heard that? Heaven's going to be boring. I'd rather go to hell with my mates and have, have a good time, have a barbie. Maybe, maybe talk about Collingwood. There, there, there's torment. Eh? All right. Often at funerals, You hear people saying they have gone to a better place. Sometimes we we have that view of what happens after we die. Some people would would be looking forward to a family reunion, you know, meet up with mum and dad perhaps, loved ones, friends. A lot of believers think that that's what's going to happen. A lot of non-believers think that as well. They just think that automatically... You die, you go to heaven. Some people believe nothing happens. You die, that's it, non-existent. And then there are the other people that think you die and then you come back. It's a whole heap of weird ideas about what happens after we die. But here in this parable, the Lord Jesus just just pulls back the veil a little bit because really there isn't a lot of information about what actually happens, what it's like, where do you go, why you go. There really isn't a lot. But here the Lord Jesus just pulls back the veil a little bit and lets us have a glimpse of what happens after you die. 
Now, before we get into get into it, I just need to clarify a little thing because I don't want to take up the morning tea time with with answering this question because some people think, oh, Raph, this really isn't a parable because there are a lot of theologians and scholars that think this is so unusual that it doesn't meet the criteria, the strict criteria of a parable because there's a name in it. Do you realise that in all of the other parables in the Bible, there are no names mentioned. And they think that that's unusual, so, so perhaps it's not a parable. It also doesn't say that Jesus spoke this parable, like it does in a lot of the other parables. And so there's this debate about, is it a parable or isn't it a parable? You know what? It doesn't matter. Because in my Bible it's written in red. And anything that Jesus says is important and really should take, I mean, you should read, you should take note of everything in the Bible, but when it's in red, really, really take note. I've mentioned that many times. What is not disputed by the theologians and scholars is that whether it's a real event or, or, or a story, it's used in a parabolic way. In other words, it means it's expressed as a parable. And, and Josh just briefly mentioned last week, a parable is a simple story, a simple story to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson or truth. And usually, when you talk about a parable, most people would think straight away, Bible, Jesus, story. All right? That's what it is. But the parables are there to illustrate a very important principle or lesson or idea that needs to be considered. And there's always, absolutely every single time, a purpose for the Lord giving that parable. Always. It's not just a story. It's not just a filler at the end of this chapter. There's a purpose. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and the beggar Lazarus is a story of false righteousness and false, uh, and sorry, and unfaithfulness. And we'll explain that as we go along. But the first thing I need to do is set this scene because this is where we get into a lot of trouble when we look at this parable. You see, this is pre-Calvary. Remember, Calvary, the Lord died on the cross for salvation. This story, this event, when the Lord told this, was pre-Calvary. Obviously, because he hadn't died yet and he's speaking here. So it's Old Testament economy, Old Testament time, where the law of God was to be obeyed. And that's what ruled everything. Both of these characters, both of them were Jews. That's important. Jews. They were God's chosen people. Both of them. And they were both bound to follow God's laws. No exception. Every Jew was required by God to follow his commands. The, 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 the place where Jesus is referring to here is often known as the abode of the dead. In other words, where you go when you die. 
the place where people go when they die. They've got to go somewhere, yeah? Now, this place is a bit different now than it was when Jesus gave this parable. Because this place changed post-Calvary. Something happened, which we'll mention in a minute. And then there is the, the, the terminology, there's the word in your Bible, or in my NIV Bible, which is the earlier version, is the word hell. You, you read Hades, they changed it. In other places it's often referred to as Sheol. It's got a whole heap of names. And there's one reason is because one is Hebrew, one is Greek, and then the other one they put in because we get confused of what, what it's actually talking about, alright? And that's why we have really weird perceptions of what happens after we die. Can I have the next slide, please, Damo? Now, this, this is a very interesting slide. My home group people know I, I love this bloke. His name is uh, Clarence Larkin. He was a, a, a Baptist pastor, but before that he was a draftsman. And God used, uh, used his talent, Uwe, uh, to give us this this diagram, and he's got a whole heap of them like that. And what he he has the ability to put into uh, a, a diagram, a drawing, some tremendous concepts of, of of the Word of God. Can I have the next slide? Okay, so this is the the, the bigger version of that of that other bit, right? I'm going to try and use the pointer. All right, so can you see this bit here? Luke 16, 19 to 30, that's what we just read. That's, that's what it's referring to. Alright? Now, back in the Old Testament days, I've lost it now. What's gone? Not working. Okay, the battery's flat. Alright, so back in the Old Testament days, you had paradise. Did you remember when the Lord was on the cross? Do you remember that? And there were how many thieves? Three. Two. No, two thieves. Three crosses, two thieves. Right? One on either side. All three people on that, on those crosses were going to die and did die. All three. But two of them went to paradise, remember? The other one didn't. Now, there was only one other place to go. Remember the Lord said, today, you will be with me where? In paradise. Now, it's not the paradise that another religious group think, you know, with all those virgins. This is not, it's not that paradise. Because that's what, that's what God called the place where dead believers in the Old Testament went if they obeyed God's laws. The other thing I would like to point out to you, it's still not working. See where it says K, the great gulf fixed. That's the chasm. Can you see that that section there, it's divided into two places, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one big place where the dead go, but there are two compartments. That's what the Jewish theologians taught in that day. That's what they had in the scriptures. That the place of the 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 the, um, the abode of the dead was comp- had two compartments, paradise 
and Sheol or Hades or hell, whichever word you want to use. And then there's that thing down, see where it says G, it's, it's, on, it's on my left, but it'll be on your right, G, the lake of fire. That's a completely different place, isn't it? It's not there in that spot up there. Completely different place. We often think and refer to as hell that place. That's a different place. That happens later. This is not the place that Jesus is talking about. I just needed to show you that so that we understand what this parable is about. Very, very important. If you want a copy of that later on, come and see me. So we've got these two people. Oh, thanks, uh, Damo, that'll do. So we've got these two people, the rich man and the poor man. The Jew was wealthy and prosperous, and it said he lived sumptuously every day. Every day he had plenty to eat, comfortable, the heating was on, you know, whatever. But there's no suggestion that this man lived an, a bad, evil life. He wasn't, it didn't seem to be from the reading, he wasn't a bad man. He wasn't a sinner. He wasn't a drug dealer. Or anything like that. And, and we don't get the impression from the reading, from the, the, the dialogue, that he got his wealth by ill gains, did we? It wasn't at all, you know, he stole and, or he was, you know, cheated on his tax. None of that. He was just wealthy, lived well every day. Then we have Lazarus. It's really interesting that there's a name given. There is, I'll explain why in a minute. He's also a Jew, but he's a beggar. Now, back in, in the Old Testament times, to be wealthy, a wealthy Jew, they believed... This is what they, they believed. That was a sign of God bless, Lord's blessing. You're wealthy, God's blessing you. The flip side is if you're a beggar or you have a disability, they thought that was God punishing you. That's why you're in the circumstances that you're in. So to the, to the, to the Jew that was listening to this story, when they were listening at the start, thing, the, the wealthy man, he was being blessed by God. Oh, and Lazarus, he must have done something really bad and he's being punished. Now, there's plenty of evidence, that's what they used to think, in the scriptures. And the Lord had to correct that many times. But what we do have here is a suggestion of interaction between the two. You see, the rich man, he knew the man at his gate was called Lazarus. So he was laid at the front of the gate and he would walk past this this beggar every single day, maybe a number of times during the day, and he knew his name. His name was Lazarus. And why is that important? You see, that slide up there tells you that when you die, and we get to verses 20 and 21. It's important because it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or you're rich uh, or you're poor, you will die. And the hole that they bury you in, you don't get a bigger hole if you're rich. 
you may get a mausoleum. You know, my dad, mum and dad are buried in Falkland. I'll tell you what, there's some really big family mausoleums. But the caskets are the same size. You don't get anything special if you die and you're rich or if you're poor. And the time came, it says in verse 22, the time came when they both died. But they woke up in a surprising new environment, didn't they? It wasn't the end. One woke up in, a, in the place that we saw was called paradise. It's also referred to as Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort. A place of comfort. And one woke up in hell, in Hades, a place of torment. So the, the people listening to this parable thinking, oh, yeah, what? Wealthy man, Abraham's bosom, Lazarus in hell. That's what I would have thought. And this is why the parable was, was given by the Lord Jesus. You see, the rich man opened up his eyes and found himself in hell. And it was Lazarus, when he opened up his eyes, found himself in Abraham's bosom. Now, please don't get me wrong. The rich man did not go to hell because he was rich. And the beggar wasn't in heaven because he was poor. That's not the reason. Not the reason. One side was the spirit of evil, lawlessness, forgetfulness, rebellion against God, disobedience. On the other side was the place where the righteous, the people that trusted God and obeyed God, would end up. And that's the reason that Jesus was giving this parable. Now the glimpse, the glimpse is very important. Why did the Lord give us this detail, these details? Because you notice, you notice that he gives an awful lot of, of narrative between the rich man, who's not named, and, and, and Abraham. In, in, in the in the parable, isn't it? You don't see hear much of Lazarus. Lazarus is there and he's mentioned, but there's no narrative, is there? So, so you would say that the narrative that we have here is of importance to the people of the day. They needed to hear this narrative. It was important. That's the purpose that Jesus is giving this parable, and it's important today. For you and me, it's important. You see, hell. Ask anyone in the street, what's hell like? Oh, it's it's hot. There's fire, and if we look at this, there's torment. That's what you get. That's what you'll get. That's the response. Now, what we also see in this parable is there's consciousness. There's an awareness. Isn't there? There's a knowing. There's separation. Remember that great gulf. It's been fixed. And, and, and you read it really well. Because the really important part there is that, is that 
The rich man couldn't get across that gulf to Abraham's bosom. And Lazarus couldn't get across that gulf to help the rich man. It's uncrossable, brothers and sisters. Uncrossable. If you find yourself in either of those two places, that's where you will spend eternity. That's where your life goes on, in one of those two places, and you cannot go from one to the other at all. That's what it says. I think it's really interesting when you look at this parable that the rich man, when he becomes aware of where he is, he recognises his failure. He knows why he's there. There's no protest from the rich man, is there? He didn't call in his lawyers to try and get him out. He knew why he was there. He knew he had failed to live out God's law. So why is this rich and poor man here? Because that was the rich man's problem. The sin that he had done was committed was disobedience. He disobeyed God's. Why? Because there should never be a Lazarus in the nation of Israel. There should never have been someone in abject poverty the way Lazarus was, begging for scraps off the rich man's table. And you see, in the Old Testament, God had provided for people that perhaps make mistakes, you know, a bit foolish with their money, you know, having down on their luck. There's provision for those people. There should never be beggars like Lazarus in the nation of Israel. And you see, the rich man knew that. He knew that. That's why there's no argument. You see, the rich man made a choice while he was living on the earth to disobey God, to not heed to what God required from his people. And so there he is. Here he is. Have a look at verse 27. Verse 27, he says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. You see, hell is, is avoidable. He didn't say, send Lazarus to my father's house and tell them where I am so they can come with and join me, have a reunion. No, he says, so that they will not come to this place. It's, a, it's, it's avoidable. There's no family reunion there. He doesn't want family reunion in this place because it's not a good place, is it? And its ultimate end is the lake of fire, which is the other part that we had a look at on that, on that chart. And this is why Jesus is explaining this. We need to understand this. We need to know. Have a look at the response. Verse 29. My time's just about gone, so I've got to hurry on. Verse 29 says, is the response from Abraham. He says, he says, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, when he's referring to that, that's saying they, they have my, they have the word of God, because that's what they had back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament consisted of the writings of Moses and, and the prophets. 
They have the word of God. It, it's clearly set out in the word of God what God requires and the consequences of disobedience and, of course, the benefits of obedience. It's full of it. I'd read it and you think to yourself, God clearly sets out. If you obey, this happens. If you disobey, this happens. It's clear. There's there's no ambiguity about it, none whatsoever. That's why the rich man doesn't argue. A choice is made by everyone, whether we obey God or disobey God. Same today. A choice is made while we're alive on earth. So that's the response. But you see, the rich man, he, he, he was so concerned about his family, about his brothers, because he knew that they, they, were, they were all wealthy. They were all from the same family. They had plenty of cash. It wasn't going to do them any good. And he wanted to warn them so that they would not end up in the same place that he's in. And so he, he, he says, he says, yeah, yeah, look, but if, but if, now that but if is the cry of today that people have. If only God would show himself now. If only God would prove that he's alive, that he really exists now. But if, have a look at, have a look at the, what, what, what the response is. It says in verse, um, in verse, in, in, in verse 30, he says, but if someone from the dead, uh, goes to them, they will, they will repent. Because they already knew. They already knew. It didn't say they will believe and repent. They knew. And God asks the same of everyone today, to repent of their rebellion or their disobedience to God, to live a life that's according to God's will. And I think it's fascinating how how the Lord has has made it so clear to, to people that read this parable, that were there then and heard it, but today who read this parable, what is required? In verse 31, Abraham responds, he says, look, he says, if they do not listen, if they, if they haven't listened, if they do not listen to the word, the angels, the very son of God, they won't be convinced. They won't be convinced. Choices that we make in our life today have eternal consequences. They really do. Brothers and sisters, what we decide to do will always have consequences every single time. Can I have that last slide, please, Damon? So what's the application for you and me this morning of this? No, the last one, the very last one. The consequence, what's the application? Why, why does the Lord give us this little glimpse of hell, of what happens after death? 
Why does he do that? Well, I think it should, it should be for four reasons. So that we can refocus. Because the people of God back then had lost their focus on the things of God. We need to refocus. First of all, we need to refocus and be obedient to the word of God. That's what we learned from that parable. Even though the beggar had nothing, he was obedient to God. He wasn't looking for prosperity, though he would have loved a little bit of ease. Some food would have been nice, some shelter. But he trusted God. He was obedient. And God didn't let him down. He woke up in paradise. The rich man, on the other hand, his focus was on himself. Completely disregard the teachings of God, the requirements that God had asked of him. And where did he wake up? We should refocus on our, on our efforts and our desire to warn other people of eternal destinies. How keen was the rich man to tell his family about hell? How keen was he to warn them of the foolishness in the way in which they live? It was too late. Way, way too late. Is there anyone that you love? that you care about, that you need to tell them about this parable, to show them that little glimpse that Jesus has shown us this morning. Do it now. Because once death intervenes one way or the other, there's no crossing over. The destinations are fixed. With Christ, in heaven. Without Christ, the other place. I'm not going to mention it because it's not a nice word, is it? But that's the fact. Then we should refocus on not to have confidence in material things. The bane of the Western church, the church in the West, we're so prosperous. Look at these seats. How often have we seen those slides of those 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 churches in, in, in India and in Africa? You know, no seats. You know, palm roof, plenty of ventilation because there are no walls. We are so prosperous as a church that we'll just sit here and and, and just do church with the air conditioning on. Didn't do the rich man any good to have all that money. No bit at all, nothing, no good. Let's not get... Caught up with material things as, as Christians. Let us be obedient to God. Let us serve him. Let us do what he asks us to do. And then the last one is to invest in the kingdom of heaven. If we, we are wealthy. We are very prosperous as a church in the West. Let, let's put that, that wealth, that prosperity that we have into warning others of their eternal destiny. If the living knew what the dead knew, if we, if everyone knew what that rich man knows right now, if all the people in the world still alive, still able to make a decision, still able to choose, if they knew what he knew, everyone would be a follower of Jesus Christ.
They would. That's the purpose of the Lord giving us that parable, to warn us of, un- of unfaithfulness and rebellion against him. May the Lord bless